So how many of you were watching the final four yesterday? I mean, the final four is in Houston. And it's really appropriate for us in our study of the minor prophets. Why, why are you laughing? I mean, if you've been following the fi- my fi- minor prophets, we're down to our final four. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't pass it up. Um, so in our final four brackets, <laughs> we've got uh, Habakkuk. <laughs> We've got Haggai, we've got Zechariah, and we've got Malachi. That's it. So that's pretty good, huh? So today we'd like to focus on our first team, our our first prophet, minor prophet, uh, Habakkuk. Now, this is a study, we, we will have made it through all 12. It's my goal to finish this study in time for our summer program that I want to do in here. In the summer, we get a lot of people that are away on vacation, but a lot of people who come in for vacation, we get some college kids in here, and, and it's a wonderful time to start and, and do a, a study. So what I want to do this summer, be getting ready, is I want to do a really good study on how do we study the Bible. And, and that is something that I think all of us can heighten our game on. I think all of us can get better. But we'll be looking at the different types of literature in the Bible, different ways you study the Bible based upon the kind of literature, different tools that are available. And, and every lesson, as I'm planning it out right now, every lesson won't simply be, here's what you do, but we will be applying it and doing it to various passages of Scripture that I hope illuminate those passages more than they've been illuminated to you in days gone by. So, that's the plan. But meanwhile, we've still got our final four. So let's pull off the shelf the book of Habakkuk and we'll get started there. Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is an interesting book. And first of all, I'm not saying his name in the Hebrew way. Um, I, I, I have, being from Lubbock, Texas, my Hebrew has a certain Lubbock pronunciation anyway. But I can do a little bit better than just the English Habakkuk. The, 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 the H sound in Hebrew is the letter Chet, which has that <laughs> like he's got a clearest throat. You know, <laughs> okay? So it's Habakkuk. <laughs> How's that? We'll stick with Habakkuk. So Habakkuk, here's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to talk about the context of Habakkuk, then the dialogues in Habakkuk, and then we'll have some points for home and we'll finish up. So let's start with the context. Now, Habakkuk is an interesting book. Its counterpart in the New Testament might be, for example, the book of Hebrews. Say, why? Well, actually, Hebrews does quote Habakkuk, but I, I don't mean it that way. I mean it in this way. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. We're not quite sure when it was written. We've got some good ideas, and I'm glad to talk about those with you. But with Habakkuk, we're not quite sure who that fellow was. 
we're not quite sure when that fellow wrote. But we do know that we've got a book here that's in our Bible. And for some people, that's good enough. But for some people, they might want to know, well, okay, then what's it doing in there? Let me make a couple of notes because this is a good time to emphasize something. If I had a ruler, a ruler is a, is a way to measure things. If I had a tape measure, I could measure from Miss Carolyn to me. If I had a ruler, I could measure how wide my computer is. There's a concept behind a measuring a ruler that biblically is called canon. Not like, shoot a canon, but like canon, C-A-N-O-N, one N, which is the measuring stick. What is in the Bible versus what is not. And if we wanted to talk about the canon of Scripture, we'd be talking about what books are properly measured in the Bible. How did the Bible become the Bible? I don't want to go into too much detail on that this morning because we won't get through Habakkuk. But I do want to give some semblance of an answer. So if we go back to John 14 through 16, that's the dialogue Jesus had with his apostles right before he goes to the garden to pray and right before his arrest. So it's got the Last Supper and he has a dialogue that John sets out and in that dialogue, Jesus says, I'm going away. Don't let your hearts be troubled. If I go away, I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And over the course of those, that speech that takes three chapters, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to do a number of different things. The Holy Spirit will uh, um, come as a spirit of truth. In other words, we can rely upon the Holy Spirit being honest and true and accurate as the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is going to teach and remind the apostles of what Jesus had done. This is why New Testament writings have an apostolic authority behind them. Because we trust that the Holy Spirit taught and reminded the apostles of what Christ had done. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's also going to bear witness to God, which is Christ. Who is Christ? Christ and God, one and the same. Don't become a three-God person. Three persons, one entity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So the Holy Spirit will bear witness to God, to Christ. Will convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Will guide them into truth. Now those things that the Holy Spirit would do 
are not new missions of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit didn't all of a sudden become a spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit didn't take on a new job as a teacher and reminiscer. The Holy Spirit didn't suddenly start bearing witness to God. Didn't suddenly start convicting people and guiding people into truth. That's what the Holy Spirit had been doing and would continue to do, but do it in a very deliberate, special way through the apostles and through the children of God as the Spirit is poured out on all flesh as opposed to the Old Testament era where the Spirit was selectively given to certain people. And so we see this in passages like Mark 12, 36, where Jesus himself says, quoting, Jesus said, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So Jesus references David and the 110th Psalm saying that David produced that Psalm in the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Word of God that has made a book, canon or scripture or not. So if we say, how did the Bible become the Bible? The answer is quite simple. The Holy Spirit was at work and is at work. The scriptures that we've got now are scriptures that have been confirmed through the church historically and through the Holy Spirit working in the church. Now, there are a lot of unanswerable questions about Habakkuk. Who was this fella? What was he doing? Why was he doing it? Where was he? When was he? How was he? These are all questions that are great questions, but they're not ones that we get ready answers to. Look, for example, at the first verse of Habakkuk. The oracle, Masah in Hebrew, is that word for a burden. The burden that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Even the word saw doesn't mean it was a vision. You know, you can see something in, in, even in the English sense of the word. Uh, to, to see something doesn't mean necessarily it was a visual see. You see? Clever, huh? The way I just did that. You see? That kind of see, all right? So we're not too sure when he wrote it. Last week, we have been looking at the Assyrian Empire and how it was going to be coming to an end. And if you look at the Assyrian Empire, it was a massive, it was the largest empire of its day. Stretching from modern Iran through Iraq, Jordan, Syria, uh, Lebanon, Israel, into parts of Saudi Arabia, down all the way through Egypt, down into Ethiopia. It was a massive empire, the largest empire the certainly that part of the world had ever known. But if we move it over to the side, it ended when the Babylonians conquered the Assyrian Empire. And so the Babylonian Empire, in some ways, is greater than the Assyrian Empire. In some ways, it's not. It came and took more of the coastal area 
on the eastern, uh, or, or I guess, yeah, east of coast of the Red Sea, but it did not take over Egypt. It lost Egypt in the process. So you got Babylon ascending, taking over, and you've got this passage in Habakkuk 1.6 that says, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. It's just another word. Um, the Chaldees was this region. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Makes it sound like maybe they've started on the march or they're about to start on the march or they've already finished the march. Not too clear which. Whoops, there we go. Habakkuk 1, 10 and 11 says, At kings they, the Babylonians, scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth. They take it. They sweep by like the wind. They go on. Guilty men. <laughs> he doesn't like the Babylonians. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So you've got... Some questions, you, you, you've got some type of historical references, but we don't really know with precision when this was written. But it's very interesting. By the time of Jesus, Habakkuk is a very important book. If I ask you, how many of you have read Habakkuk lately? Dale Hearn would raise his hand because he always reads ahead on what I'm teaching here. But most of you would probably say, eh, it hadn't been on my reading list that high. You would not have said that if you'd been very careful in the day of Jesus. So if you ever go to Israel, you've got to go see the Dead Sea caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were. Here's a picture of Cave 1. And in Cave 1, one of the scrolls they found is called the Habakkuk Pesher. Pesher is a Hebrew word. It means a commentary. They found a commentary on Habakkuk in cave one. This is the tenth column of that scroll. We have a fax, uh, um, a, a good, I mean forgery quality facsimile of it in the library if you want to go see it. But I pulled column ten because it's a very interesting column. This is Habakkuk that is written in the alphabet learned during the Babylonian captivity. But where they wrote the name of God, they would not use the Babylonian letters. They used old Hebrew letters. And you may not be able to see this so readily. Here's the name of God. Um, here's the name of God. I picked out that one to give it to you. Let's uh, uh, understand it a little bit closer. And some people say, why did you do that with all the Hebrew? We have at least 10 people in this class that do pretty good with Hebrew. So this is, and a bunch on the internet. So if you don't do good with Hebrew, you're allowed to sleep for the next minute. And then somebody will elbow you and wake you up. Okay? But what I've tried to do, this is key. This is the start of this clause. It's reproduced down there. Um, and so you've got, uh, I can't read it from up close. Ki timale haeretz, and you've got it down here as well. Now we can translate that. Ki means four, but we're going to read English from this side over there instead of that side here. Their sentence started down here. They read right to left. So they have four. Will be filled. You've got the verb haeretz, the earth. 
For the earth will be filled with knowledge, yada is knowledge, with knowledge of the kavod, of the glory, and here's the name of God. Now this is yod, hey, vav, hey. Yahweh in English letters. But a good Jew would never say the name of God. Saying the name of God was wrapped up in that Ten Commandment that says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In fact, there's a good indication that Jesus did pronounce the name of God multiple times. John records it as the I am statements because this name can translate into I am. And that's when the people pick up rocks and try to stone Jesus. Said he's blaspheming because he said the name of God. So the name of God is not something that's readily said. And that's why in translation, the translators will put Lord in all capital letters when it's the name of God. As opposed to just the general word Lord. Lord is the name of God. Now, when the Habakkuk Pesher writers were writing this, they wouldn't even write the name of God in the normal alphabet. They used an ancient Hebrew alphabet. That holiness and that reverence for the name of God is profound. But we shouldn't lose track of the fact that Habakkuk was such an important book that we have an entire commentary on it that dates from the time of Christ that was found in the Dead Sea Caves. Habakkuk says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. Now, does any of that sound familiar to you? It might, because that passage out of Habakkuk is quoted in Acts 13. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Habakkuk 2 verse 3, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It's quoted in Hebrews 10. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Now somebody out there is going to say, well it's misquoted because they don't have it exactly right. It's quoted in the same sense that I have referenced numerous Bible verses to you. I give you the thrust of the verse and expect you to understand. Habakkuk 2.4. The very next verse. The righteous shall live by his faith. Sound familiar? It ought to. Hebrews 10.38. The next verse in the Hebrew. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And it's not just there. Paul writes in Romans 1.17. A reference to the Habakkuk passage. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. He says the same thing in Galatians 3.11. For the righteous shall live by faith. 
all of that's grabbed by Paul. So as we look at the context of Habakkuk, do not get lost in not being able to answer the questions of exactly who he was, when, what, where, etc. Be satisfied that the Holy Spirit has not only put it into Scripture, but the reverence for it has been around since the time of Christ. The apostles saw it as Scripture. And they quoted it as such. So that's your context. Now, I want to talk about the dialogues. How many of you pray? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm going to assume everybody's hand's going up. Prayer, in a sense, is a dialogue with God, right? All right, well, these are dialogues with God, but they're not your ordinary prayer. Habakkuk, all right, when, when, um, when I was in school, we had to memorize which minor prophet said what. And you can do that with one or two. But by the time you get to 12, it's, 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 you're starting to play memory games. And the memory game for Habakkuk was Habakkuk talked Habakkuk. <laughs> because what Habakkuk does is, he, I won't say he argues with God. But he definitely protests and contends with God, which sounds like a holier way to say he argues with God. So he protests against God. Let me show you. The first protest in Habakkuk is Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4, and then God replies. And then wash, rinse, and repeat. We get that over and a third time, sort of. So let's look at this first protest against God and see if it's something that resonates with you. Here it is. Habakkuk 1 verse 2. Oh Lord. Now look. It's all capitals. What does that tell us? It's the name of God in the Hebrew. Oh Yahweh. Oh Lord. How long shall I cry for help? And you won't hear or cry to you, violence, look, and you're not going to do anything about it. How long is this going to go on? Um, does it stun you that someone would be so frank with God? Does it stun you that someone would say, okay, God, um, like Job, answer me on this one. I want to know how long. How long is this going to be? I mean, look, if I can see it, you can see it. If I know there's trouble, you know there's trouble. How long am I going to cry out for help and you're going to ignore me? That's the second verse of the book. That's not like buried in between the donuts. That's right when you hit the door. Um, we had a tragedy uh, at the law firm earlier this year where um, one of our lawyers in his young 30s uh, died totally unexpectedly playing on the floor with his kids. Tragic. 
godly guy. Godly parents. And you just sit there and you say, where were you, God? I have multiple, multiple dear friends who've lost adult children. Where were you, God? Let me stop for just a moment and say something about this. It is acceptable and even holy to cry to the God who knows our hurt. And it's okay to bring a sincere heart to God. And he will hear our cries and he will answer. May not be the answer we want. May not be as we want it given. He may Delay that answer in a sense to help us process and work. But he's not offended by the sincere heart that cries out to him. And if you want proof of that, we're in Holy Week. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus goes. Before he goes, he says to his apostles, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, Jesus falls on his face and he prays and he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, But as you will. Now Jesus is perfect in his faith. And in the expression of that faith. We can look to him not only as our savior. But as our Lord and our model. And if Jesus has no trouble crying out to God in distress. Asking God the questions. Then we should not. Good Friday's coming up. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, leme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first verse out of Psalm 22, which is a psalm, by the way, that ends in victory. But Jesus, with very little breath, very little life left in him, cries out to God out of his distress. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you just don't seem to hear. How long do I cry out to you violence and you don't save? By the way, plug for this summer series. One of the things we'll be looking at in in our Bible study is how much of Scripture is written from a human perspective. So we'll see passages like the rising of the sun and the setting of the same. That's what it looks like to us. Even though the sun's not the one doing the rising and the setting in an astronomical way. But here's another passage. To to the prophet who's crying out, it looks like God's not even listening. But we know he is. It looks like God won't save. But he will in his time. And then the, the prophet continues. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And I want you to see that word iniquity. Let me see if I can underline it there. Iniquity. Iniquity, Anon in the Hebrew is, um, 
It's got a big, wide range of meaning. It includes ideas of sin, injustice, disaster, deception. All of that's wrapped up in this word. So why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me see sin, injustice, disaster, deception? Why do you idly look at wrong? You make me see it while you just look over it. Destruction and violence are right here in front of me. Strife and contention arises. The law that's supposed to make all things okay, it's paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. Why do you make me see all of this sin, injustice, disaster, and deception while you just overlook it? That's not an unusual question. A Jewish rabbi, Harold Kushner, had a son that I think around age three was diagnosed with an incurable illness that would give him maybe ten more years left to live. And the rabbi had huge struggles with that. And out of those struggles, he wrote a bestseller, When Bad Things happen to good people. And in that book, he tells a lot of stories of bad things happening to good people. And he does a touching job of pointing out the unfair tragedies in this life. But I don't like his answer to why. Because as I read his answer, it's basically God's powerless over evil sometimes. And I won't go there. I, I, I don't think that's scriptural. And so we can still ask the question, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? But the answer's not, eh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just not strong enough to do anything about it. That's not the answer. Let's turn the page. Look among the nations and see. This is God's reply. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe it if I told you. When my daughter Gracie was um, about three years old, I had her in the backyard on a swing. We had a swing set. And I had laid these bricks down in a little path. I lived over in Copperfield at the time. Laid these bricks out in a little path from the patio around to the side gate. And the bricks were a little elevated over the grass. And, and it was a small yard. And the, so the, the swing set was pretty close to that. But Gracie was sitting in the swing and holding on. And I'm pushing her. She goes, higher, Daddy, higher. So... I'm like Bill Young. Oh, yeah, man, I'll do that. And I pushed her higher, and she flew out of the seat. And she hit the corner edge of the bricks right here and gashed her head. And you have never seen blood like was gushing out of the top of her head. And I scooped her up, and I jumped in the car, and I drove to one of those emergency clinics as fast as I possibly could. And they saw us 
immediately. And they said, we've got to stitch her up to stop the bleeding. She's three years old. She doesn't understand. They strap her to a board because they're going to be stitching in her head. And they not only strap her with her hands down, they put straps around her chin and forehead so she can't move her head. She does not understand. And I am there with her as she is bawling, saying, Daddy, make them stop. Daddy, make them stop. And I have tears running down my cheek as I explain, I can't. This needs to be done. Just look at me and it's going to be okay. There are times where healing hurts. But God is doing something even if we don't understand it in the moment. He's got a perspective that is greater than ours. He has a purpose that is greater than ours. He's unfolding history. Knowing what needs to happen today so that the events of tomorrow can take place. Gracie right now is due with her fourth baby, March 20th. No, What's today? Today's April. April 20th. <laughs> Three years ago, that fourth baby's been overdue. Um, none of that happens if she doesn't live through that. God's got history to unfold in the future. And we have a role to play now. We should look among the nations and see. We should wonder and be astounded knowing that God is at work in ways that we wouldn't believe it if he told us. All right, there's a second dialogue, second protest. Because Habakkuk's not going to just leave it alone. (laughs) So Habakkuk says, hey, aren't you from everlasting? Oh, Lord, name of God, my God. My holy one, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and you can't look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors? Why do you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man that's more righteous than he? Why are you doing this? Side note. One of my favorite things to do is to watch TV shows with Becky at the end of the day. Some of them are good, some of them are terrible. But we've been watching some Jack Ryan. Now, my sweet wife, hang on. I can tell this story different if she's not here. She's she's here. My very sweet wife has a tendency after five minutes into the episode to say, pause the TV. Okay, explain this to me. And she asked questions that basically would unfold the entire episode. And I don't know the answers. And I have to say to her, sweet wife, that's the reason the episode's an hour long instead of five minutes. We don't know that answer yet. 
Now, mom short circuits this stuff. I'll never forget the kids coming up to me. I don't remember which. I think it was Rebecca, mom, who came up to me. Did you know Mimi reads the last chapter of a book first? (laughs) Mom wants to know how it turns out, and then she reads to see how it got there. But maybe that's what I need to do with Becky. Let her watch the last five minutes, and then we can go back and watch the show. But, but, you know, you're binge-watching. So here's the reason I'm saying that. Aren't you from everlasting? Don't you have purer eyes? Then why on earth are you not seeing what's going on? And the reply that God gives, before he gives it, Habakkuk says, okay, I'm just going to hit the pause button. I want to see the answer to this one. And so in Habakkuk 2 verse 1, he says, I'm just going to take my stand at the watch post. I'm going to station myself at the tower, and I'm going to look out to see what he's going to say. I'm waiting. And he hits the pause button and says, all right, explain it. If you ever get a chance and you want to read some really goofy old English, go read Piers Plowman. It's a poem by William Langland. It's written about the time of Chaucer. It's written in that old English. And, and in it is the first reference. Belle virtue est suffrance. Patience is a beautiful virtue. Paul says patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Habakkuk's told be patient. God's doing something that Habakkuk would never fathom. Do you know what God was doing? God was getting Easter ready. Romans 15, 25, Ephesians 3, 9, Colossians 1, 26. I don't have time to put them down, but you can read them. They all talk... Paul uses the word mystery, the mystery of the ages that has been revealed in Christ. What nobody understood was going on that's been revealed in Christ. What God was preparing through all of that has been revealed in Christ. And then, if you understand that God was at work getting history in order so that the birth, death, resurrection of Christ would be there for all people. When that mystery is now known, suffering takes on a different perspective. Then you've got verses on this side of the empty tomb, like Philippians 1.29, where Paul talks about how we are given the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12, or 2 Timothy, yeah, 1.12. That's the one where Paul talks about uh, uh, the sufferings of Christ are, are nothing to be counted, he says, because I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him against the day. In other words, we know what God was about. We now understand what causes suffering. And we now understand that Christ himself suffered. But we know that there is victory at the end. And we get to partake in that through faith in Christ. But we will be made whole in that in the last day. And this mystery has now been revealed. The Sudoku puzzle, whoops, the Sudoku puzzle's been filled in. The paint by numbers has enough numbers painted that now we can see the picture. So yes, Habakkuk, you can take your stand. 
You can be at your watch post and at the station. But God's reply is going to be pretty blunt and simple. God says, hey, write this vision. Make it plain on tablets. For the vision awaits its appointed time. And if it seems slow, just wait for it. It's surely going to come. It won't delay. The righteous will live by faith. That means you, Habakkuk, will find your righteousness as you trust God. But it's also a line that Paul is able to appropriate over and over. Because it is no less true for us. That we live by faith. Do you know another word for faith? Trust. This is the hymn. Trust and obey. Don't cross the obey, by the way, as thinking that's the way you get God's smiles and favors. Obey is what we do because we trust in him. We trust that he's God. We trust he's told us what to do. We trust he knows what's best. And so we follow him. What fools would we be to say, yes, God, I trust you, but I ain't going to do it. That rebellious heart gets us nowhere. So we've got about four and a half more minutes. Let's look at some points for home. First, Habakkuk 2.20. One of the reasons we can live by faith, and one of the reasons even if we don't have adequate answers to the suffering that is in this life, is found in Habakkuk 2.20, where Habakkuk writes, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Hush in Hebrew. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Don't think for a minute that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. Don't think for a minute that God does not hear your prayers. Don't think for a minute that God doesn't care about you. God who is in his holy temple is not only doing something incredibly awesome in the world and in history, but he's doing it caring about each one of his children in the process. Doesn't mean we don't suffer. Doesn't mean we don't hurt. Doesn't mean we don't have opportunities to grow in our faith and trust in the Lord. But it does mean that we exist in the palm of his hand. He says in another, to another prophet, to Isaiah, he says, Behold, I have engraved my people on the palm of my hand. A metaphor that says God has written your name, Larry, on the palm of his hand. Your name, Gwen, on the palm of his hand. Your name, Sharon, on the palm of his hand. God has written your name on the palm of his hand. I can't add to that. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, next point for home. Though the fig tree should not blossom, 
Though fruit not make it on the vines. Though the produce of the olives fail and the fields yield no food and the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Let everything go to pot. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Doesn't mean it's not right to cry out to him. But we are on the resurrection side of history. And we must never lose track of that. Point for home final. Habakkuk 3.19 God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. It's a book by Hannah Hernard. Uh, kind of an allegory type book, Hind's Feet on High Places. It's a great book. Read it like in high school. It's like good read. But I love this. He's going to make my feet like the deer's. Right now, I have clumsy feet. If my feet had not been so clumsy and slow, I might have played more basketball and done a little less debate. But as the old coach said, Mark, you're short, but you're slow. (laughs) I hear debate calling. But God's going to make my feet like the deer's. He's at work in me. He's going to put me up on those cliffs where the deer romp and stomp. Because he's at work in me. Suffering may last for a night. And that night may be a season. But rejoicing will come in the morning. The God of my salvation is my strength. He's the reason I can live from now till then. Amen? Amen. So if your final four brackets are done, you can take Habakkuk off and we'll move to Haggai. All we've got left in ours is Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. I do hope that you will follow the Lord in baptism if you've not done so. And that I get to play a role in that would be really cool. But if you don't want me to and you want to do it anyway, don't feel like, you know, I will be hurt, cry. And um, with that, let me bless you and we're done. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message. That it would stir up in us a greater appreciation, awe, respect, And worship response at what you have done in our lives, but what you've done in history and what we can anticipate in the future. Lord, we don't always understand you, but we do adore you. And we are so honored that you know our name and give us purpose and meaning in this life. Be our strength, be our salvation, make our feet like hinds feet to hop on the high places. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.